Alright, everybody, welcome to the March 28th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Dan with me here today, and we have, uh, well, quite a packed schedule for you this week. How are you doing, Dan? Doing okay, Brock. How are you surviving? Uh, doing okay. A little tired this morning. We're recording earlier than I think we have in a very long time. Yeah, it is still the AM, technically. Yeah. Uh, I, I think... I think we'll start with this week in Malarkey, because we, uh, I, I love your recurring theme on that, by the way. We uh, had a White House press corps that got its panties in a twist this week about uh, Biden not throwing enough press conferences, and then when he did throw a press conference, he apparently did not address the questions that people wanted him to address, even though he answered the questions that he was asked. Um, I guess the fact that no reporter asked a pandemic question during the press conference is apparently just pissing off, well, everybody in the news media when they could have asked a pandemic question, so I don't really understand that one. But, uh, well, that's exactly it. I mean, they, yeah. they came in and they bombarded him with horse race stuff, and laundered Republican talking points about a, quote, crisis at the border. Yeah, it... Hmm. I mean, yeah, what the whole thing kind of strikes me a little bit as is a media that was is a little bit still addicted to the uh, news cycle environment of Trump and kind of the way that it made them important by mm -hmm. making everything a crisis... I 100% agree with that. Yeah, without that, they're trying to manufacture it, and they're not going to focus on you know, the most important issue that remains, you know, in the country right now, this pandemic, and they can't even be bothered to ask the President of the United States a single question about it after they hound him for weeks about not having a press conference. Is it because so, he's crushing that topic? I mean, Probably. honest question there. He he came in with a, a goal of 100 million vaccine doses in his first 100 days. He hit that number with, what, I think 53 days in? Yep. Uh, we're going to have the country fully vaccinated by, I, I think, June 1st. Uh, they're going to open up eligibility to everybody by May 1st now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it just it, it seems like we're we're crawling out from this pretty quick, and I, I don't know if that has as much drama in it as they want, I guess. I, I think that's a lot of it there, yeah. If uh, if you're trying to just get the president to say something that creates drama or makes news, you know, you, then you ask him about, you know, I mean, shoot, they can't ask him about Trump tweeting anything because Trump isn't tweeting anymore mm -hmm. or can't. But, uh, yeah, so they ask him yeah, dumb stuff about whether or not he's going to run for president in 2024. Or when he says, well, yeah, I guess I will run for president in 2024. They say, well, who are you going to endorse in 2028? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I was going to ask about that because he did make some news in confirming that he plans to run for re-election, which had been something of an open question before. Yeah. I mean... Even that, though, I, honestly, if he decides he's not going to run, I mean, that's a question that he's going to answer for himself sometime between now and 2023, I would expect. So, I mean, 
he may come to a decision and decide that you know, 2024 he's just not going to be healthy enough for it. But assuming that he is, then of course he's going to run. So, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. That's what they all hound him about rather than you know, the pandemic that's still, people are still dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, you know, and at greater numbers than were this time last year. So, yeah, it's it's pretty wild, and this is what, if there's any way for Republicans to get back into power, it's that, you know, our media has the memory of a fruit fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of, of people dying, we have had our, uh, well, a return to normalcy in one sort of uh facet, I guess. We have had a number of mass shootings in the last couple weeks. Uh, One in particular may or may not be a hate crime. They're still kind of working on that. Uh, In Georgia, a a young white man went to a series of Asian massage parlors and opened fire in each of them. Um, It it seems... I don't know the details of the investigation, but from what's available, Mm -hmm. it seems pretty clear this was targeted at Asian Americans and more specifically Asian American women who are mm-hmm. the people employed in Asian massage parlors. Um, there is some chatter that the, the man behind this may have been motivated by sex addiction. However, that seems to come almost entirely from the police. Um, so I, I don't really know what's going on with that one. Um, Right. We're, we're going to see on that, but it, it seems a lot like a hate crime to me. <laughs> Just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the commonality of the victims, certainly, is that for the most part, they were Asian American, and for the most part, they were women. Um, at least in terms of I mean, the, the sex addiction angle, it, it makes a little bit less sense as the focus on it comes on a little bit more it's not like at least given the victims here none of them were uh, doesn't seem like they were sex workers right mm-hmm. I mean, they were none of them were particularly young none of them were i mean none of these establishments i think were actually sex work establishments either they were just actual yeah um, there's no indication they gave happy yeah. endings or anything like yeah. that right so, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about motive, but, yeah, it, it's definitely created some conversation uh, about what it's jumped to and what could have led to this and uh, just in general, the climate in this country and anti-Asian rhetoric and, you know, just a lot of things over the last year. I mean coronavirus around you know when it was first getting going there was a lot of uh very heated rhetoric about you know china virus and kung flu and things like that you know speculation that all this was a weapon that was created but and that's kind of been used as an excuse to you know scapegoat off you know the failure of the government to deal with you know pretty serious crisis and there have been consequences to that because you know there have been spikes in anti-Asian violence in the country, is my understanding. It's that this is just a particular, you know, particularly violent expression of a phenomenon that has 
been on the uptick over the past 12 months. Mm-hmm. The other mass shooting recently was out in Colorado at a King's Supers supermarket in Boulder, which is a Denver suburb. Uh, the victim, or not victim, the perpetrator in this case uh, was not a young white man. He was a uh, young Muslim immigrant who had been in America most of his life. Uh, probably doesn't remember the old country. Uh, I want to say the reports I said said he was here since he was two. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Al Alawi Alyssa. Um, excuse me, that's his brother's name. My bad. Ahmed Al Alawi Alyssa was the suspected gunman. His brother, which is the same name minus the Ahmad, has talked to many, many people in the media about his brother's mental health struggles. Apparently, since 2014, he's believed he was being gang stalked, uh, which is a particular paranoia where people think that teams of people are, are stalking and following them. Uh, he had had a, a number of run-ins with law enforcement getting increasingly violent over the last few years. Seems like something snapped and the mental illness took full control. Um, in this case, it was kind of randomly selected victims in the supermarket and outside the supermarket. It doesn't seem like he was specifically targeting anybody. Um, men and women were hit. People as young as 20, people as old as 65. Uh, including one police officer, doesn't mm-hmm. really seem like there was anything being targeted there. So less like a hate crime and more like a normal run-in-the-mill what we're used to in America, mass shooting. Yeah. I mean, what kind of, what strikes me as particularly wild about that one, I mean, this is a community where there have been a number of, you know, national news mass shootings within a fairly confined geographic area going back decades. I mean, this is fairly close geographically to Columbine, Columbine. Yep. to the Aurora shooting, to the uh, Planned Parenthood shooting in 2016, you know, all fairly close by right in this one area, um, which is you know pretty wild when you think about it right there. But I mean, what makes it different this time is Colorado now, I believe, has a trifecta of uh, Democratic governance. Um, They may actually try and get some serious gun legislation in response to this is something that occurred to me. He he did purchase the gun legally with a background check Mm -hmm. as required, Um, but it, it really just tells me that we're not doing a good enough background check. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, you know, the existing gun law is clearly not restrictive enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, I mean, <laughs> we need to do more to take guns away, I guess. You know, the, it's one thing to, you know, the the, the thing that we've kind of said is the uh, sensible middle position is, you know, just enforce existing gun laws, you know, clearly is not enough to keep keep weapons out of the hands of dangerous people and so yeah some additional regulation is clearly in order you so know, you were talking about it being confined to uh, a specific geographical area and how colorado seems to have a a number of these i don't mm-hmm. think it's related but do you know what happens to make colorado fairly unique 
What's that? You are exposed to much higher levels of radiation in Colorado than you are in any other state. Significantly higher. Yeah. Like closer to the sun? Not only that, you're you're above yeah. much of the atmosphere, which shields you from like cosmic radiation, but it's the largest, the, the shield rock underneath Colorado has the largest naturally occurring concentration of uranium in the world, which increases the background radiation rate just significantly on its own, plus then you have... As we mentioned, the the less atmospheric shielding, which increases your radiation exposure from space, and it's just yeah, it's this perfect mix that comes out to I believe like three or four times any other state's background radiation level you pick up in Colorado. Don't think it's related, but it is the only thing that strikes me as particularly unique. Huh. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. <sighs> so, uh, well. That's our mass shooting update. I'm sure there will be more because there always are in this fucking country. That's right. Give it another another week, sadly. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll we'll move on to what's actually happening legislatively in Washington. Um, I guess we'll we'll start with the filibusters and then move to infrastructure week, which, far from being a running gag, might actually be a thing now. Um. <laughs> We have some indication that more and more people, including Biden himself, are pretty comfortable either dumping the filibuster or reforming the filibuster in some way. Um, what seems to be spurring at least the the mind changes I've been seeing has been HR1, which is mostly a government corruption and voting access bill. Um, Biden seems willing to turn the filibuster into a talking filibuster, uh, which was how it used to be, where you had to literally stand there and talk, maybe with a tag team member, to let you get a few minutes of a nap in every now and then. But uh, no more just saying you're filibustering, and that carries it. Um, there is some movement towards nuking the filibuster altogether. Amy Klobuchar, who had previously resisted that idea, has now endorsed it. Uh, in order to get the vote and access bill, H.R. 1 passed. That seems to have been spurred mostly by the fact that, as we'll talk about in a minute, Georgia has drastically uh, strengthened their their voting access bill in the bad way to reduce voting access. Mm -hmm. Do you think we see filibuster change? I will, yeah, I think it's going to be a question of how... How much pressure Mansion and Cinema are willing to put up with, and how they're going to respond to it. But I think they're going to ultimately they're going to have to do something because HR one is just too important. There's too much riding on it. And yeah, I think talking filibuster is likely. Yeah, I, I think that's the easiest way out for them to say they didn't get rid of the filibuster but they did at least something that would make the Senate more functional. Manchin has already endorsed the uh, the talking filibuster, so that's a hurdle right there to clear. Absolutely. And I don't know what Cinema's deal is, that she's not jumping on that as a lifeboat to get her out of the position she's backed herself into. Because, you know, it's... A really strange corner to be in, you know. 
there is so much riding on HR1 and everything else. Um, well, for one, the House of Representatives, you know, we will lose our majority to gerrymandering probably without it. I mean, that even before a single vote is cast, <coughs> between, you know, changes to the maps in Florida and Texas and probably Georgia. I mean, with those three, you probably lose the majority before anything else happens. So you need you, you need the protections against gerrymandering now. <laughs> you may get the Supreme Court to throw all that out already, even though that's basically what they told Congress to do is legislative <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gerrymandering in the first place. But yeah, yeah, I mean that's pretty much the only protections that we have that John Roberts has said that we have. But uh, there's so much riding on it, and it's the most obvious case for it. I mean, voting rights, it's you know kind of a bedrock case. So I think that's probably the closest way to get to 50 votes in favor of changing the filibuster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but a lot of those guys are fucking old. Like, I don't think they'll be yeah. able to stand there and talk for, you know, 28 hours. Maybe Ted Cruz or something, but McConnell? There's not a chance. Ted Cruz is looking pretty out of shape these days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they'll, they'll probably, you know, I mean, they all hate Josh Hawley now, but, you know, make him do it. <laughs> He's young. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we have some movement, I guess, on an a actual infrastructure bill. Uh, I know Infrastructure Week being this great, you know, re-centering re effort of the Trump administration on like 18 different occasions where they were going to put everything right. past them by focusing on Infrastructure Week uh, has now actually taken some steps towards becoming reality. Um, a three trillion dollar jobs and infrastructure package is being put together by the uh, Biden White House, mm -hmm. according to the Washington Post. Yeah, uh, it's being spearheaded in Congress by Buttigieg, who is now our transportation secretary. So he's been giving some briefings on the Hill about it. Congressional Republicans are not so happy about the fact that it takes steps to, you know, address climate change, for example. <laughs> And how transportation impacts that, but it is uh, it is making some movements. Um, we're looking at, like you said, three trillion dollars. That's more than the COVID relief bill. This is a bigger fucking bill than that. I I find it fairly impressive that they're they're thinking that they can move this. Yeah. I mean, this is I would expect this is going to be the other. Uh, reconciliation bill that they end up moving through, um, I guess, Biden's uh, majority Congress before the next election. And uh, this is probably the only real chance that they have for substantive legislative action that's going to be addressing climate change. So, yeah, big projects that, uh, again, address carbon output, uh, investment in green tech all all of the above and, you know i'm assuming you know bridges or i'm sorry trains everything that can you know, 
reduce the amount of shit that we're pumping into the atmosphere. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So hopefully they've got a good plan for getting it out there and uh, also tax the hell out of uh, wealthy people to play, pay for it. One thing that side. they're apparently not going to do is solve the Prius problem or the electric car problem. Uh, much of our funding of infrastructure and the highway system depends on gas taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, with electric cars becoming more and more and more and more popular, that's no longer really bridging the gap. More and more people are driving cars that either don't use gasoline or primarily don't use gasoline. Uh, mm -hmm. Budigeg just a few days ago had floated a mileage tax in order to get those cars paying into the infrastructure system since they don't use gasoline at the same rate. Um, sure. That's now been shot down. <laughs> um, the Department of Transportation and the Biden administration have both said that that will not include a mileage tax. Uh, that was announced yesterday. So we're once again paying for infrastructure mostly on uh, a, a smaller and smaller pool of gasoline-powered cars, which is still the majority. I don't want to say it's you know some tiny pie of it, but it is a majority that is shrinking literally every year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you you want to have a broad tax base, and that's going to include everything, of course, that's using the roads, and so we're paying for infrastructure, sure, but if you're also wanting to tax carbon and tax, you know, or tax at least the externality of pollution, mm -hmm. then you also want to be taxing primarily gas. So at some point, you probably want to tax both, but... I guess if you want to pick one or the other, you probably want to tax more the gas. Mm -hmm. But mm, I can kind of see that, kind of see coming down in that position, just tax gas more for now. Also, I drive an electric car, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll move from national uh, legislative news to state legislative news. Uh, the voting restriction bills that have been popping up in the wake of the election have started coming home to roost. Georgia's governor signed theirs. It includes, uh, well, a number of provisions that I'm pretty sure are just straight up unconstitutional. Um, the, the one that struck out most to me, and I mentioned this in the pre-show, was it is now illegal in Georgia to give food and water to people standing in line to vote. I cannot see how that's not a First Amendment issue. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just pretty egregious as to why that's even a thing. I mean, the fig leaf of it, I mean, are they trying to claim that, you know, people are being bribed to vote just by being sustained with water on a hot, sunny day? When Basically, yeah. For eight hours? Yeah, that, that's really the argument, that they're making it easier for people to vote who may not have been able to vote otherwise. You know what? It would be nice if people didn't have to stand in line for eight hours to vote the first mm -hmm. uh, And God. that provision kind of uh, reflects a similar law, not about voting, but about migrants. Uh, I believe it was in Arizona. It may have been Texas. Yeah. That yeah. made it illegal to give people crossing the border food and water. Um, you know, crossing a desert is hard. People generally don't have enough food and water with them. 
the law was basically requiring people to, to let people die. That was tossed out by the Supreme Court. Um, you can't criminalize conduct like that. That's speech. In other words, they're not contributing to a crime. They're just giving somebody food and water. I imagine that exact same rationale is going to prevail, and at least that part of the Georgia law will be tossed out. But I can't believe they even put that in there. Like, that yeah, takes some fucking balls. It's horrendous optics, too, you know, in terms of everything else. Well, that, and, you know, they've done a number of other things. I mean, the main things that they've done is they've limited mm. uh, the conditions under which you can get a by-mail ballot. So rather than the more general, uh, I think it was mostly COVID conditions under which you could, you know, no excuses, by-mail balloting, which frankly is a way it should be generally in, the, in Washington state and Oregon state, for instance, it's just by, as a rule, it's by mortality. Mm -hmm. uh, you now have to have some condition. Generally, I think it, you have to be elderly, you have a disability or be in the military overseas now, mm -hmm. uh, you have to apply. Um, uh, and they've done some tinkering with the uh, deadlines by which you know you have to apply in order to receive a ballot you know if you're going to be voting by mail uh they've also uh tinkered with uh some of whether or not uh it's during early voting whether it is required to hold early voting hours on sundays uh, i guess they have there is at least one mandatory Let's see here. Adding a mandatory Saturday and formally codifying that Sunday voting hours are optional. So counties could have optional early voting on Sundays um, at the discretion of their counties. I had read that they were required to have one Sunday. Mm -hmm. I, that may be wrong now based on what you're saying, but that had been my understanding of the bill. That in order to forestall a like religious challenge... That they were requiring one Sunday. Anything more was optional, but I may be wrong on that. I'm not seeing anything here about at least one mandatory Sunday. So that I'm not entirely sure here. And then I'm looking on the Georgia public broadcasting summary of the bill. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. Interesting. So the, they did make a big deal about attacking early voting on Sundays and the only, I mean, it was a pretty transparent attack on the uh, souls to the polls program by which uh, black churches mobilized to uh, get their voters to uh, vote early, you know, prior to elections, uh, you know, following Sunday services in the run up to elections. Uh, so at least it, they, so they've gone ahead and made those early voting hours optional and at the discretion of counties. And yeah, it doesn't, I don't see, I don't see here, there might be one mandatory Sunday, but I don't see that here in the summary here. Mm -hmm. So that will be interesting and there may be a challenge to that. Well, I'm sure there will be challenges to the whole thing legally, but mm. all this is going to go before the ultimately before the John Roberts Supreme Court, which was significantly uh, less fascist when they decided uh, Shelby County. 
seven, eight years ago. So <laughs> we'll see what they do with this. From the NPR article I'm reading, it says that the uh, the provision to restrict Sunday access was ultimately not included in the bill sent to Brian Kemp's desk. Well, it's not restricted, but it's again Sunday yeah. voting is now yeah again discretionary mm -hmm. rather than having. Yeah, bill passed on a uh, perfectly party line vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, national politicians have been calling this the return of Jim Crow, which is exactly right. Basically, they're upset all these black people are voting. Yep. They lost narrowly, I mean, not so narrowly on January 5th, but very narrowly uh, in November. And so they're trying to make sure they don't next November 2022. <laughs> Kind of down the road from Georgia, we have uh, some interesting developments in union activity in Alabama. The Bessemer Union, Alabama's uh, Amazon facility, will complete its union vote tomorrow. Uh, ballots are due by tomorrow, the 29th. Um, I haven't seen anything kind of predicting the outcome, but Amazon is fighting this very, very hard. Right. As... Most employers generally do. I mean, it, there have been, you know, rare circumstances of employers in the South where they didn't, you know, fight to the death to prevent unionization and their facilities. But, you know, they're absolutely fighting this one very hard. Um, mandatory uh, employee meetings where they, you know, propagandize them about why they don't need unions and how it's going to, you know, disrupt their dynamic and so on and how you know they already pay them enough already and so on and so forth uh so we will see how that comes out i mean there have been some fairly historic uh support for this unionization drive coming actually from the administration mm -hmm. uh both uh the uh just confirmed secretary of labor uh Marty Walsh and uh, Biden himself have made statements generally in favor of the employees and their right to unionize and uh, condemning any efforts uh, to interfere with the unionization drive. So it is uh, really encouraging. I believe, uh, I mean, one thing that's you know really important again about uh, that support from those corners is I believe this is a overwhelmingly uh, black workforce in this it facility. Is, yes. So again, that kind of uh, political encouragement may also be very helpful in this case. Mm -hmm. So we'll find out tomorrow uh, on, or I guess uh, March 29th. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the kind of related union news that I decided I wanted to bring up with this, uh, the SEC has ordered Elon Musk that, tool to uh, delete an anti-union tweet he had put up. Uh, they decided that it was attempting to interfere in the union election in uh, the Gigafactory that Tesla has. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't know if the tweet is still up. He's before told the SEC to, you know, go sit on it when uh, they've told him that he needs to have his tweets, you know, pre-cleared by, by Tesla legal and whatnot. So we'll see how that goes, but that guy's just such a douchebag. 
Yeah, he he really is the worst. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing to that is that they're about to open a new Gigafactory in Berlin for Europe. Germany is the highest rate of trade union membership in the Western world. Uh, it's so high that they haven't even had a need to set a minimum wage in that country because the unions that literally everybody belongs to just handles that themselves. There's no, they haven't felt the need for the government to step in because nobody is not under a union contract. Yeah, it's, it's part of the working culture there. Yeah, so it just, it strikes me as so strange that he is so willing to fight unions here, and yet he's setting up shop in a place that has nearly 100% union coverage. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... I guess... I guess it's a matter of the opportunity. If he's here, uh, if he wants to take full advantage of the work culture in America, and if he can exploit that, then he will. But, yeah, that's pretty gross, and that doesn't say great things about some of the working culture here, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we'll kind of switch it up to our, our local news, and I'll actually pivot before we talk about Seattle. I'll use that as a segue. Elon Musk put up a rocket on the 22nd of February. It mm. finally came down a few days ago. Did you have a chance to see it, Dan? I did not. Where was this? Uh, well, it re-entered directly above Portland. <laughs> you can see it from as far north as Seattle, though. Um, there are, The entire city freaked out here. People thought it was aliens. People thought it was a meteorite. There is phenomenal video of it coming down, and it does look otherworldly as it breaks up and glows up there. Just a, a massive, you know, 12 different fireballs as it breaks apart. It was crazy. Uh, I... I highly encourage anybody to go to like the Portland subreddit or the Oregon live website or I think even OPB has video of it up it is it was creepy stuff when you saw it especially if you didn't know what was happening and very few people wow. did yeah hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was a wild sight and it yeah it came in directly above Beaverton and Portland was where it, it re-entered for the final time hmm. yeah Okay, uh, with that out of the way, though, we will talk about Seattle, where their mayor, Jenny Durkin, who has had a rocky tenure. I don't want to say she was a bad mayor, but she definitely did not kind of bridge the two sides of Seattle, which is progressive and basically communist. Um, <laughs> didn't, didn't really get to marry those two sides together very well. Uh, both factions ended up hating her for, for various reasons. Uh, she's decided she has better things to do than try to do that for another four years. Uh, she won't be running for re-election, uh, which means there's going to be an open seat in that office, and quite a few people have already declared for it. Right. Uh, so we've got at least a former and current uh, city council president that are currently running, uh, the Lorena Gal Gonzalez, who's the, I want to say the current city council president? Yes, is Gonzalez is correct. She's been in the race for a few weeks now. Uh, Bruce Harrell just got in in the last week. And they're likely to be the leading candidates at this point. Uh, also more likely to be on the more political establishment kind of wing of things, more likely to be running to be Durkin successor types. 
uh, in kind of the line of Durkin, Ed Murray, and so on. Uh, also in the race, definitely raising a lot of money, at least from what I've seen so far, uh, at least in the summary that I got from King 5, uh, Colleen Echo We are beginning Hawk, with some breaking news. Uh, Thurston County. It says here is the uh, executive director of the uh, Chief Seattle Club. Mm -hmm. um, she's so far raised over $100,000. Uh, so at least of everyone that was listed here, she's uh, at least got the highest bankroll so far. Yeah. Uh, one name that stuck out to me just because I remember like reading about her in Congress, uh, although it mm -hmm. doesn't seem like she has much support, but Justin Farrell uh, is a, a fairly decent name. She was in the Washington State Legislature for quite a while, at least two terms, if I remember right. Yes, and uh, she ran in 2017 for mayor. She was, uh, I think she was in the top four. She was just behind Nikita Oliver, so... Yeah, she was in the top four. So you had uh, Durkin and Carrie Moon, who advanced to the top two, followed by Oliver and Pharrell. So, yeah, so she could definitely be in there. She hasn't raised, it looks like she just got in the race as well. Mm -hmm. So I think those are probably the top candidates this time around. Uh, although some good fundraisers here so far, this uh, other candidates. In here, Andrew Houston, who is uh, associated with a uh, couple nonprofits, if Trinity's, I remember right, yeah. Sunrise Movement, uh, Lance Randall here, who is uh, running on a campaign uh, ending the uh, neglect of uh, homelessness. So, yeah, there is a uh, Quite a few candidates so far. Uh, again, I'm expecting to come down to the four that we talked about at the top. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting race developing. Um, still, I think, just over four months until the primary election and, of course, the general in November. Why do I recognize the Rodney Holt name? Rodney Holt might be a perennial. Just a moment. He's raised $12 so far. <laughs> He's got to be a perennial candidate. But, yeah. I recognize uh, that name from somewhere. I'm just not sure where. I'm guessing previous uh, Seattle elections. Yeah, I'm guessing he's run for stuff before. Hmm. Let's see. I'm sure he has. Uh, let's see. He's got a Wikipedia page. And a LinkedIn. I don't think that's the same Rod Holt. Might be a different guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not. Oh, well. Hmm. Got into a little bit of a cul-de-sac there. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. All right. Anyhow. Is there anything else local you want to mention? I think that was all I could think of. Uh, Oregon has had some movements on a couple bills. Uh, the Republicans, I guess, ended their their um, blockade of the legislature, and they've come back. Um, there was a, a couple things trying to move. I'm not sure which ones did. Uh, 
but I know that some sort of, of climate change agenda was on the bill. I'll have more information on this uh, next week, I suppose. We'll do a, a local legislative roundup. Um, but it does look like our legislature is moving again after, I think it was three weeks of Republicans just refusing to be there and uh, denying a quorum. So now that our legislature has actually started moving, we will have some updates on that next week. Um, are you guys in session right now, Dan? Yes, we still are. Okay. Uh, for at least another month of regular session, and we may see special sessions still because it is a budget year. But, yeah, we'll see on that front. Uh, right now it is surprisingly rosy on the budget front. Um, receipts are still coming in significantly higher than had been feared, and we are running to catch up with where we were pre-pandemic. So, yeah, breathing a sigh of relief here, especially as uh, American Rescue Plan funds come in in Washington State. So... I know this is circling back to something we had talked about previously, but I actually just saw this information. You had mentioned how we're going to get just crushed by gerrymandering and redistricting. Mm -hmm. Apparently the census is going to miss the legal deadline for giving states the information they need. Um, it's it's not going to be available uh, at all until late August and won't be available in a usable format for states until the end of September. Um that's later than the legal deadlines to do redistricting in most states. I honestly, I'm not sure what the consequences of that is. <coughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't really know either. Um, according to the AP, some states are trying to either change their constitutional deadlines for, for redistricting or they're trying to create temporary maps that won't be informed by census data but will be informed by surveys and whatnot and then I guess they're gonna rejigger those maps next cycle hmm. I'm not really sure of that but we may have a bit of a reprieve from gerrymandering if you know most of these states decide that the easiest thing to do is just keep the old maps for a little bit until they get the new information but I mean don't they still have to reapportion I mean I would assume, you know, Texas is owed three more representatives. and Not until they Montana. have the census data. That's what determines okay. reapportionment. Yeah. That would be something. If Wow. That would be a hell of a reprieve. <laughs> mm -hmm. It might get us a, a year or two on it. Because the the deadline for, not the deadline, but the, the filing period opens for some of these races before then, I mean, we had declared candidates for president, you know, a year and a half out. We're going to have the same thing in the House. You know, how are people going to be able to declare if they don't even know the district yet? Right, exactly. Huh. Yeah. So we may, we may have a couple of years of either a hangover map or some, you know, temporary maps before we actually get into the whole reapportionment thing. Yeah, no kidding. Interesting. All right. Anything else? That's all I've got. All right, Dan. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks all for right. talking with me, and we'll have more for everybody next week. All right. Have a good week. Mm, bye.